0: to see a project grow from start to finish and potentially someday sell that project that's the goal of myself now as i get involved into different investments before we get
1: into today's episode i want to offer you a free service and a free gift yes a free gift you're a loyal best ever listener you deserve free gifts and it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes a free service, here comes a free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714. I interviewed her about her best ever advice. Talk to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem. Secure pay one, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business. Whether you've got 500 units or even a handful of units, go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup. And the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. Mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how are you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff. We've spoken to lots of successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs from Emmett Smith Hall of Fame football player to Barbara Corcoran on Shark Tank, a whole bunch of others. And I'm pleased to say, boy, we've got a basketball stud in the house. How you doing, Tony Delk? I am doing well.
0: Thanks for having me on, Joe.
1: Well, my pleasure and nice to have you on the show. And obviously, best ever listeners, you know Tony Delk. But in case you're not a basketball fan, well, here you go. Here's his bio very briefly. He is a University of Kentucky grad. He was an All-American there. He is also a member of the school's Athletics Hall of Fame. He helped the team win a national title in 1996, and then he went on to have 10 successful years in the NBA. And three to four years ago, he joined the ESPN SEC Network as a basketball analyst. He also is the president of the Taylor Delk Sickle Cell Foundation. And he is involved in a lot of other entrepreneurial endeavors. So that being said, Tony, you want to give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background and some of the projects you're working on right now?
0: Most definitely. I'm from a small town, Brownsville, Tennessee, born in 1974. And to come out of that small town, I mean, it speaks volume for not only the town I come from, but from my foundation of having great parents that were married for over 50 years, brothers and sisters brought me up and treated me as their own. They were 15 to 20 years older than I was, so I had a good foundation from brothers and sisters, mom and dad, and just the town embraced me as a kid. And brought up in that small town of Brownsville, Tennessee, I learned a lot. Having older parents that went through a lot, it allowed me to be able to understand the importance of hard work. And just leaving Brownsville and going to the University of Kentucky, playing there on the Coach Patino was probably one of my definitely top two coaches that I played for, taught me the game, the mental aspect as well as the physical aspect. And he prepared me for life after basketball. So we not only went in looking at me being an 18-year-old kid, but what could I do once I finished playing basketball? And we discussed that and talked about that in length when I became a senior. And he set me up with a really good business manager, who's been my business manager since 1996. And it's just been a lot of good things that have happened over my span of not only playing basketball but on this earth.
1: Let's talk about some of the things you mentioned. You said that when you're at Kentucky, Rick Pitino coach, he helped prepare you mentally and physically for life, not only during basketball but then after basketball. What are some of the things that were either taught to you or that you experienced that helped prepare
0: you? I think the most important thing that he taught me was not to let money define who you are as an individual and to stay humble and that's something that having older parents but also parents that didn't require a lot it kept me humble once i was able to make a lot of money it didn't change who I was as an individual i think there's so many layers that players get away from once the money comes and the fame and the traveling being on tv it really changes who the individual is but i always say you have a good foundation you keep a good circle of friends around you. So that's something else that I really that I learned from him early was that his circle of friends became our circle of friends. And mm-hmm. that's what I enjoyed mostly about him was that he didn't allow us to go out and meet new friends that were adults that could take us away from being who we were or give us money or give us the thing that we needed at that time, but he made his work for it. So everything was earned. He always made a statement that when something is given, it can be taken away, but when it's earned, It's yours. So I've always taken that motto to wherever I've gone, even as I speak to kids, I always tell them, listen, the most important thing is hard work. You have to put so many hours in. And when you put those hours in, it's earned. It's not given to you because if I give you a starting position, you didn't earn it. A player can come in and beat you out at that position. And then that teaches you about life. Life is about competition. And the earlier you know that, the better you're going to be as you transition out of whatever career you're in. You're ready and prepare for whatever challenges that will take place.
1: You mentioned the circle of friends, and clearly this is applicable to any entrepreneur or real estate investor. That's why I say, and us too. So let's talk about in your situation, how do you determine who your circle of friends that you want to surround yourself will be?
0: Well, I think for guys that make it to the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, hockey, whatever profession that you go into, is it's always hard to kind of figure out which friend do I take with me as I go along this journey of life. I like to look at guys and consider them to be assets. Liabilities are the ones that are constantly going out. They never get the check. They're always (laughs) mooching off you. They want free clothes. They want free gear. They never pay for gas. So everything becomes free to them. But I like that friend that I know who's willing to get out and work. Because at some point in time, let's say I'm 18, I go to college, I finish I'm 21, 22, is now my life begins. So I don't need to be taking care of other people that are not my kid. The most important thing is my friends that I grew up with from maybe five years old up until now, they are still my friends to this day. And there's three guys that I talk to probably once or twice a week, and nothing's ever changed. You know, we've gone on to become parents and gone on to different careers, but what we've always kept is a great family friendship mm-hmm. and they never need anything from me so I think the friends that you consider to be assets are the ones that never ask you for anything and when they do you know they're going to give it back or they really need it so we always establish their relationship if any of us ever made it and I was the fortunate one to make it that my line my phone you can always reach me and those guys know that no matter where I play basketball either they come and see me they bought their tickets they were coming town I said listen get to town come to whatever city I'm in I'll take care of everything else. So I just need you to at least make some commitment, find <laughs> something. And that's what they've done. And, and like I said, they've been my critics, but also they've been guys that have been truthful. So when you have a circle of friends, you need to have friends that hold you accountable.
1: I love that. You mentioned earlier Rick Petino was number one or two on the coaches. I think you said you learned the most from. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think that's what you said. Who's the other coach?
0: I really enjoy Scott Skiles. When I left Sacramento, I was in a great situation playing with the Kings, playing with likes of Lottie Diva, Pedro Stojakovic, Chris Weber. We had a really good team, and I enjoyed just playing with those guys. It was a family. It took me back to Kentucky, just how we played together. And what made Coach Patino so special was I spent four years with him, so he got to know Mm -hmm. me in and out. The other coach was Scott Skiles. I only got about a year and a half with Scott Skiles, but... He believed in the hard work. He was a role player like myself, but he allowed me and gave me the opportunity to go out there and play the game that I was capable of playing and probably should have been playing if I was with the right coach. He allowed me to be a role player. He wanted me to be a scorer, to play with freedom, to play hard on defense. So of all my coaches outside of Coach Patino, and I played for a lot of really good coaches, but Scott Skiles, when I left with this situation in Sacramento, it was going to have to be a better situation for a coach that, understood my game, and allowed me to play my game.
1: Let's talk about your game. What would you say, as a basketball player, would be the best part of your basketball game? There's going to be a couple follow-up questions, so I'm I'm not just curious. I I have a purpose for uh, this.
0: I think the gift that I had early, even going back to middle school, was that I could always score the ball. That was a knack, and that was something that I loved to do. And... I did it well throughout my career. And the NBA was different because I was traded a lot and I really didn't get a chance to showcase everything I could do offensively. But also you go into a situation where there are franchise players and those players are paid a lot more money than I was getting paid. So the system, they sell the seats, sell mm-hmm. tickets, so the fans come and watch. And I understood that. So I understood my role. Like I wasn't a guy that knew when I came in, oh, you know what? I want to be the star player. If it happened. It presented itself, I would have been more than willing to take on that challenge. But every position I was put in, I consider myself a role player. But when I was set out there to be a starter, I can trade on both ends of the court. And that's something that Coach Patino really brought me, was a defensive side of basketball. Mm-hmm. He knew I was a prolific scorer in high school, but he always told me, listen, if you're going to have a career, you've got to be able to play both sides of the ball. So he allowed me to play offense, but he really pressured me to play defense.
1: And that leads into my follow-up question. Knowing that you said since middle school you've always been a scorer, would you be best in the NBA if you focus more on your scoring or more on the areas like defense or whatever that you're not as naturally good at?
0: When I got drafted by Charlotte Hornets, it was more to be a point guard. So that part of my game... I had not developed the way I needed it to. It became the latter part of my career that I became a better distributor, someone that could play off the pick and roll, someone who could play with the ball in my hand, make plays, being a facilitator to my teammates. But I think early on, and even going through high school, I always played with the ball in my hand. So that was a transition that was hard, even going to Kentucky my first year, playing with Jamal Mashburn, who everything went through him. And as a freshman, I didn't play much. So the first thing I was thinking about was, hey, you know what? I need the ball in my hand to be successful. I'm not touching the ball. Jamal Mashburn is getting all the touches. Travis Ford is getting all the touches. Here I am as his freshman, and I'm watching my peers play. I'm like, wow, you know, my game can't be that far off. But also going back to Coach Petito, he taught me how to play without the ball. So teaching me how to play, coming in as a scorer, but also teach me how to play without the ball in my hand, to be effective using screens, being able to come off the pick and roll, stagger screens. And then once I got to the NBA, my first season with Charlotte Hornets, they wanted me to be the point guard again. And once again, I went for a four-year stretch of being a shooting guard scorer. And now I have to get the ball to Blotty D.Va, Glenn Rice, Dale Curry, Anthony Mason. And I just wasn't as comfortable as I was the latter part of my career. So that was me figuring out how to play that position. But when I left Sacramento to go play with Phoenix, I got a chance to watch Jason Kidd, who I thought was the best point guard I ever played with.
1: So now that you're retired from the NBA and you're an entrepreneur businessman, where do you put your focus in terms of... There's a lot of skill sets that are required to be an entrepreneur and to be successful in business. So do you take the approach of focusing on what you're naturally good at and then not focusing as much on the weaknesses, or do you want to try and work on all the things and you don't go all in on your special skill set?
0: Well, I think you work on all the aspects of becoming a good businessman, and I think the most important thing was one of my partners, I'm the CEO of a company called V&D, which is by and d it was named after my partner's grandparents and he started the company in 1995. What he started out doing was fabricating and when he brought myself and a really good friend, he wanted us to come in and learn the business from his side and kind of see how it works. He said, the best advice I can give you, you need to know how the business runs. So that's what I've been focused on with my business venture with Lawrence Butler and Kendall Dancy. And what we're doing is we're a minority company. We supply material to different projects, you know, with rebar, steel, iron. So I'm learning what he knows and just getting the knowledge from him. And he's been a good mentor, a good business partner, because he's bringing me along slowly. And he always says it's better to hit a bunch of singles, Mm -hmm. doubles and triples, and not always try to bat for the home run. So it's a process that we've been going through, but it's been fun just to learn how corporate America works and just him being a successful businessman for over 20 years. He's someone I can pick up the phone at any point in time and call and what he is, he's an honest person, and I know he's been successful in his business. So when you become an entrepreneur, you want to make sure, like I said earlier, surround yourself with good people. You're not going to know everything about the business. I mean, that's one of the reasons why if you look at the ownership of team, you have a president, a GM, assistant GM. There's positions that guys are in, and you have to know your role. So when he put me in as the CEO, he's like, Tony, I don't need you to get deep in the weeds. So make sure before that happens, we have the discussion as well as the discussion with all the partners in this business venture.
1: Mm-hmm. When you talk about the different kind of lessons that you've learned so far in both business and then also in the MBA and in college and with coaches, it makes me wonder while you were in the MBA, I suspect you were preparing for life after the MBA. And I'm asking this question for all the best ever listeners who have a full-time job right now and they want to either transition out of it or they're looking for retirement. So how did you prepare for life after your occupation
0: in the NBA? It's always difficult, and I can go back to when I first signed on my financial guy, Rick Avar, and he had this 15- to 20-year plan with my money. I'm thinking to myself, I'm 21, 22 (laughs) I'm going to play basketball forever. How can I not play this game for the next 20, 30 years? So with that age, you're not really thinking about 35, 40, 45, 50. Because you're so young, you have a different mentality. And going back to my parents, we grew up poor. We didn't have money, so my parents really couldn't prepare me for being in a position to handle a lot of money or to be in the middle class to kind of see how the workforce worked, how corporate America worked, how investment worked. So all of that was learned on the fly for me. And Rick Avar, who was a really good mentor, friend, financial guy, he was teaching me along the way about investing in something that's going to last 15, 20 years. And not only that, but when you get done playing basketball, because it's going to end for everyone. That's the million dollar question is, no matter how good you are, from Michael Jordan to will be LeBron at some point in time, Kevin Durant, it ends for all of us. What's the next transition that you can get into that's important for you, but also gives you time to enjoy life? Because you've been made a lot of money. We have devoted a lot of time to this particular sport. As much as we love it, to get really good at something, you really have to devote a lot of time, sacrifice time, where you might want to go out and hang out with the boys, the fellas, take trips, but you're working on your craft. So when it gets to the end, not even to the end, I knew at about 28 that In about five years, I will be finished playing basketball because my body was taking a beating. But also I knew, you know what? I gave 15, 20, 25 years to this sport from starting at five years old, and I'm getting tired of it. So I wanted to transition to something else.
1: As far as your time goes for the amount of hours you work now, is it more or less than when you're in the NBA?
0: Oh, a lot less. You have to work smart. You don't keep working those same hours.
1: How many do you work in the NBA?
0: Oh, NBA, man, I would say during a week you're counting games, probably about 30 to 40, 50, because I was a player. I love being in the gym. So in the summertime, season done, I'm going to play 82 games. We've gone to the playoffs, and all of a sudden, I take a week off and I'm back playing basketball. And I guess it was a love for the game, and if I could have maybe done it all over again, I would have rested my body. I would have maybe taken up golf as a hobby, I would have done something else to reserve these legs because even as I go out and play now, the next day is when it's the most painful. But when you're getting towards the end of your career, and as I went out and watched some of the guys in the summer league, some of the guys who were veterans, what I saw from those guys is more maintenance, shooting, ball handling, just the fine points of the game and not the physical contact. But I needed the physical contact to solidify me being just being on the court, just being involved with the game. It was easy to go through drills and shoot and make shots, but I want to have the contact. And that's what, when we finish to get towards the end, you miss the competitiveness, but also you miss the contact of playing and going against guys.
1: Based on your experience as achieving at a high level in your profession, as well as an entrepreneur and businessman, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors based on your experience?
0: I would say when you're investing, make sure you can drive to your investment. Well, that's something I was taught early is that you can become a millionaire just in your state, your city alone. you got to find the right land. You have to do your research. And once you do your research, you get with a realtor and you have a vision. And that vision has to be 10 or 15 years. But even when I was taught early with my investments, the first thing someone told me was you make an investment. Make sure you can drive and see how it's operating on the day-to-day because you can put your money into something. And before you know it, you will be involved with another project. But to see a project grow from start to finish, and potentially someday sell that project, that's the goal of myself now. As I get involved into different investments, I want equity in the company, just in case that company sells for, let's say, fifty, hundred, two hundred million. I want to have a percentage of it, so I can say, hey, you know what? I benefited from putting my own money in, but also looking at an investment that will bring my family my kids, maybe my grandkids. I have to look further than just where I'm at right now. I want to think about how can I create generational wealth for my family being in the position that I'm in. And it all starts with the opportunity and knowing the right people and timing.
1: Last question on this front that I want to ask you about any challenging time you've come across, but on the right people part, you mentioned the assets and liabilities, which as real estate investors resonate with us very well we totally get that is there anything else other than that that helps you screen team members out because i suspect now it's an evolution of how you select which opportunities because i think people are going to attempt to show you that they will be an asset and they won't mooch off of you whether or not that's true or not who knows but how do you screen that out now that you're at a different level?
0: Well, you know what? The level, it's the age factor. A loss at 20 is totally different from a loss at 40. A loss is a loss, but at 20, I have time to recover. But at 40, you basically have accumulated everything leading up to this point, And all of your money or whatever you have, your investments, you have built that over time. So to go out and invest with someone... With your life saving, you're 43. See something that's going to be possible somewhere down the road and say, hey, I'm excited about this adventure, this project. I'm going to put all my money in. You want to think about it because it's not only about you right now. It's about your family. It's about your kids. It's about maybe their kids. It's like putting your family in a bad situation because you're excited about an investment. So, once again, it's the research. It's talking to the people, seeing have they gone bankrupt? What have they done? Have they been successful over time? And where are they at? to this date, and when you're 20, I was excited about anything. I was like, hey, you know, friends came with different car wash, restaurants, I mean, all <laughs> these great ideas, but guess what? No one came with the elephant in the room, the money. So, I was the money man. So, you would take an investment at 20 because, you know what, you really don't know a whole lot about it. You know, it sounds good. It's helping a friend out. Let me do this. If I make money, great. If I don't, you know, not a big deal. Maybe I won't have to deal with that friend anymore because <laughs> he owes me debt now, but As I've gotten older, I take my time. It's a phone call, research, and talking to people. You know, so it's more about understanding you have the opportunity. There's always going to be opportunities out there, but which opportunity is the best for you at that time? And I always say do something that you like or you love. If you love it, that means you're going to be all in. You're going to want to see that project grow, and that's kind of how I see my projects now. If I'm going to be involved with it, I want to be there to the day-to-day, but also I want to talk to the people who run in the company. And as I said earlier, I want to be able to drive to the project and just maybe pop up on some people and, and mm-hmm. not let them know I'm coming.
1: I'm going to ask you the opposite question here in a little bit, but what's the most ridiculous investment that you've made? I mean, you mentioned car wash where people don't have the money and you find it like, what's an investment gone wrong for you?
0: You know what, the first, the first investment went wrong was me giving my brother, I think I gave my brother like maybe fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 somewhere, and it was my first league. So, you know, my brother was a catalyst behind me, making it to the NBA, he worked with me. We was out back to backyard practicing, rebounding. I was like, you know what? My brother got a good idea. i want to see my brother make money. And so I gave it to him. I made him sign a loan on me, you know, like, hey, this is what I'm going pay you back and such and such, which I pretty much knew I wasn't giving money back. But he had this bright idea about the car alarm. It's like, hey, you know what? This car alarm. If people walk by, they touch your car, his alarm is going to go off. It was a system that he came up with in 1996. And I'm thinking to myself, they're already out. I don't know if people have them. But you know what? I didn't want to kill my brother's dream. So gave him the money. Long story short, a few months down the road, I knew I would to get my money. And he never said anything about those alarms again. So I knew it was a failed investment by him. But it was basically me giving him some money for kind of being a mentor, a brother, and helping me out along the way.
1: Absolutely. And what a, relatively speaking, inexpensive lesson, if you learned it there and not on something much larger later exactly. down the road. Exactly. Yeah, so you should actually thank him and maybe give him fifteen k more just because he saved you money in the long <laughs> oh, run. You know
0: what? To be honest with you, really he did because after that, I knew then I wasn't going to invest with family and friends mm-hmm. anymore. So you're right. Instead of him... And like I said, it was a valuable lesson learned, but also I think when you have family and friends and you see them struggling and come up with good ideas, the good in me, I want to help people. Because even if it turns out bad, I'm still going to have a smile saying, you know what, my higher power wasn't in control of what I did, who I gave it to, but he was happy with me giving it freely.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great story. Thank you for that. Okay, so what's a challenging time you've come across? Because everything's not always rosy, right? No,
0: it's not. It's not. I think I would have to go back 10 years when I was at the end of my career. Matter of fact, I was playing overseas in Greece, and that was my last professional year. And I'll never forget getting a phone call from my niece, and she called me, and she, she told me my mom had gotten really sick. And at that time, I didn't know to what degree that she was sick, and she said, you know what, you have to come home now. So I'm leaving Greece, I have to fly back to New York, drive from New York to Memphis, drive from Memphis to a hospital that's about an hour and a half from Memphis, and just really coming to my mother's deathbed. And I'll never forget just walking in and just seeing her, just waiting on me, because I was the last of her eight kids. So she basically stayed around, and she was like, listen, I had to wait to see my baby, you know. So it was probably the most trying time of my life just to come in and be on my mother's deathbed but just to notice she was holding on to wait for me to get there, just let me know the sacrifice, the love, the commitment. And when you have a strong mother like that, to see her in that position, I would tell anyone, until you've lost a parent, you don't know the devastation of losing a mom. And just the connection that we had, because I would talk to my mom pretty much every day. As I got older, I became closer to her because I knew she was aging. But when you become an adult, there's some things you want to pop off your parents or call them and get some advice on and she never told me anything wrong. So I love that woman from the day I was born until the day she passed. So that was tough and also I was going through divorce at the time. I didn't know if I was going to finish basketball. My third child was born. So 2007 was a trying time for me but God was with me throughout that whole ordeal and it started with my mom just giving me that foundation of leaving a higher power and, and just believing that God is going to get you through anything.
1: Is faith kind of the main thing that helped you and continues to help you through that? Any trying times? It's not even
0: close how much I believe in God and just the importance of having a higher power that you can look up to, that you can pray to at night, that you can talk to when you need someone to speak to. And that started with my mom. I can remember coming home from college and that Saturday night you might go out and have fun, but Sunday morning you got to get up and go to church. There's no, oh, you want to sleep me in a ten eleven. 11 When you came in that house, whatever time, Saturday, uh, early Sunday morning, when it was time to go to church, mom came and knocked on the door, woke me up, I need you to go to church. So, you know, I I think having the foundation early in life and keeping me humble, but it started with just how much she believed in God and just her commitment to the church we went to, and then she would go every Sunday, and she was a strong believer. So that, uh, as I look back, when I was growing up, I didn't think about it at the time. Because you're so young and only thinking about, wow, I have to go to church and you're only giving two hours to God on that Sunday. So you have to think about how much more time that, that needed to be committed or to be loyal to someone who is going to watch out for your every need and take care of your every need.
1: Thank you for sharing that. All right, we're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day to day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener. And guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30 minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. The Target Market Insights podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com That's TargetMarketInsights.com. All right, Tony. I have got some questions from best ever listeners who have some questions for you. And you don't have to be like rapid fire answers. So here we go. I believe you went with seven NBA teams, right? In 10 years? One pro and one con for being with seven NBA teams in 10 years.
0: You get a chance to visit a lot of different cities that when you move, it doesn't cost you anything to move. And for me, it's just seeing all different parts of the country for free.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, con? New teammates, new system, new players. You have to get acclimated with the city. So I, I think that's as I move, I always think about where am I going next? You know, After one year, what's the next destination? What city will I be in? What team will I play? But i tell you the good thing about it. But some of these equipment guys are still with these teams, so whenever I pick up the phone, I can call them and I can get free gear.
1: <laughs> Speaking of cities, what's the best ever NBA city to visit and why?
0: Ooh, You know what? That's a tough one, but got to put Miami. you got to yeah. love Miami. Just yeah. the, the scenery, <laughs> the weather, just being able to get out on the beach if you need to. The nightlife is glorious. <laughs> um, i love warm weather and my second favorite city would have to be phoenix i love phoenix phoenix is a place that when i left sacramento it was going to a place where i always wanted to live i love the desert i like the atmosphere and it was a new look for me coming from the south seeing all the green now you get to see the cactus the desert the stucco homes so i enjoyed being in phoenix the city that most players love to go to miami
1: You might remotely strangle me when I ask you this question. Best ever SEC to root for, not name Kentucky?
0: Woo! (laughs) You know what? That's tough, and I'm going to tell you. The reason why I would say at that time, Florida Gators, would be Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan was the guy that started recruiting me as a sophomore out of Haywood High School in Brownsville, Tennessee. So if it wasn't Billy Donovan... I never would have gone to Kentucky, so I have to say Florida Gators. He was the one that got me to commit to Kentucky. He was a brother to me when I wasn't playing, and he was also a mentor, a friend, and someone who I knew was going to be a great coach because of his work ethic and his love for the game of basketball. So it would have to be the Florida Gators.
1: Best ever SEC town to visit?
0: Ooh, I would have to say, hmm, I like Nashville. I think Nashville, even to this day, with them bringing professional teams there, it's always been a city that's grown over years. They have great restaurants. And plus, it's my home state. So I have to go my home state. I would say Nashville.
1: Most challenging part of being a basketball analyst?
0: You know what? Not being so biased when it comes to Kentucky. That's <laughs> the <toughest> thing. <laughs> because you want to see your alma mater do well, but also you have to speak the truth when the truth needs to be spoken. And... Big Blue Nation don't always accept the truth when it comes to Kentucky. So that, <laughs> I think that's the hardest thing for me is just trying to, the, the balance between being an analyst and also being a Kentucky fan. So I have to balance those two out when I'm in the studio.
1: Best ever investment you've made so far?
0: Ooh, best investment i ever made. I think Papa Jones Pizza has done well for me for about 15 years now and counting. And at the time, I really wasn't a big Papa John fan. Once again, as I say, might not like the pizza, just got to know how the business run. And if it makes you money, just let it make money the way it's doing. And whether you eat the pizza or not, who cares? But that was a great investment that I made early in my career. And I'm still benefiting off of that to this day.
1: What's the best ever project you're working on right now?
0: I actually have two projects I'm working on. One with my girlfriend, Nicole Will. Looking into the wine, we hadn't totally committed yet this wine industry, and I'm doing my research now, but I'm very, very interested in the potential that it has with my name behind it, but also just being able to brand it to, I uh, it in the Southeast. So I'm excited about that opportunity that's ahead of me, the IMAC Regeneration Center that we'll probably be opening sometime next year in Lexington, Kentucky with my name behind it. Another project that I'm extremely excited about as it helps out just the middle class, older generation with stem cell, platelet-rich plasma, chiropractic, just PT. So there's so many different things that's under one roof with the IMAC Regeneration Center that really excites me. I got a chance just last week to go to the Ollie Smith IMAC Regeneration Center in St. Louis, and then the David Price Regeneration Center in Nashville. So just seeing how those two Projects are working from the employees to the owner, the founder, Matt Wallace, just having great conversations over the last week with good people, meeting their families. And that's what you have to do when you get yourself involved with projects. Get to know the people, family, friends. You need to talk mm-hmm. to those people because I want to be connected not only because of the money, but i like to know that it's family oriented and it's something that's going to benefit all people involved. So you don't take care of your employees. They don't take care of your clients.
1: Mm-hmm. Great business advice. That's for sure. Tony, how can the best ever listeners either learn more about what you got going on or follow what you're doing? What's the best way? Where can we send them?
0: Twitter, TLDump00. That's where you're going to find me at. I'm on Twitter and I do tweet back occasionally. I love to retweet, but uh, <laughs> if I say a good quote, I'm definitely going to retweet it. But I think if this year goes along, I'm planning on doing a lot more tweeting and Maybe shoot some videos of me, training kids, being a mentor. I want to have some footage and give my Twitter followers some content of that right. what I'm doing and let them know that I'm still relevant. I still love the game of basketball. I love teaching it. I'm trying to be the best entrepreneur that I can possibly be for the year 2017 going into the future.
1: Well, lots of life lessons that you shared with us. Thank you. I'm very grateful. I know the best ever listeners are really grateful for you spending some time with us. Thanks, man. Maybe we can do this
0: again down the road.
1: Yeah, I love it. A couple things that really stood out to me. One is just the foundation that you come from. You mentioned your parents were married for over 50 years and how you've gone through, like most people, challenging times. You shared a couple. I'm sure there are many others that we didn't have time to share, but having the foundation and then how as your career has evolved and you've made more money how you've had to identify the right people to bring with you and I love the assets and liabilities it's so straightforward just assets liabilities are they adding value to the relationship and relationship with you dating
0: too so don't forget yeah that's true (laughs) whenever you're dating trying to find that that wife to be is that asset liability.
1: That's true. There's a pun there, but I'll leave that alone. And then with the best advice that you've got in terms of running businesses, know how the business runs. You don't to know all aspects of it, but know how the business runs. And I love the philosophy of if something is given to you, it can be taken away. If it's earned, it's yours. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. Hey, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. The Target Market Insights podcast is just that a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com. That's targetmarketinsights.com.